This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 432, and today we are talking about books being released on September 26, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia LZ Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Patricia, hello! Hey, Liberty! So, we had a Lego date! We did have a Lego date! Oh my gosh, it was... It was one of the best things maybe that I've done all year. It's been a heck of a year. And uh, so for folks who don't know, I freaking love Legos. I still have all my childhood Legos. When Nicole and I first started dating, what we would do is we would each get a comparable Lego set and then we would drink some alcohol and put on cartoons (laughs) and then race to see who would put the Lego set together faster. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, so you and I had a Zoom call. Yes. And we got, first we got the same set. Yes. A unicorn, of course. (laughs) And then I said lots of words at you, and you were very polite about it. Well, we put Legos together. <laughs> no, it was it was great. You know, I sat, I had my I had my coffee because it was morning time in California, and it was it was great. It was so great. It's been so long since I've done Legos with anyone other than my wife, and I also think it's important that adults play too. Adults play too, yeah. and it was so great to do something that wasn't work. Yeah. I I honestly haven't built a Lego anything as an adult. You know, we had a few as a kid, but mostly we had constructs, I think I was telling you. Yes. Which were like gray and blue and orange, but still hurt just as much when you stepped on them. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was thinking like, so we've never met in person. Correct. And, you know, so I've never been to your house, but you have a new place and you were showing me the view from your place. And I realized after like it reminded me of, and I know it's the wrong state entirely, but it kind of reminded me of the Goonies house. Like when they're like looking out like way far into the distance at the water. I was like, she kind of look has like a Goonies view. <laughs> right ocean, wrong state. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah, we're one state below. One state below. But yeah, uh our front living room window looks out and we can see the San Francisco Bay. It's beautiful. It's very exciting. Well, not right now, because the sky is full of smoke from uh, wildfires. I think from Southern Oregon right now. So we're keeping everything like the curtains are open, yeah. but like the windows are all all closed up. But Oh, I'm sorry. But yeah, I think we're going to make uh, Lego dates a monthly thing. Yeah, we've already been. Well, me, you keep sending things and I'm like, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. I would do it like forever. <laughs> There are some that I really want that, but they're, you know, I'm new at this. The one we did was how many pieces? A hundred something pieces? It was like 130 pieces. Yeah. 
Like, I looked at some flower ones that are, like, $70, and they're, you know, a thousand something pieces. I really want the Ford Mustang kit. Oh, me too. Maybe, maybe that's what we're working toward. Like, we're working our way up. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's it. But it's really fun. And I'm glad, you know, it was just something that I saw somebody mention on social media that they did this with their friend. And so I was like, hmm, who do I know that would want to do that? Bing! Heck yeah. (laughs) Always down to clown. So let's see. It's a cold day here in Maine. It's a smoky day in California where you are. <laughs> and speaking of places, last week, totally forgot to mention the area code that corresponded to the episode number. Last week was episode 431. The area code for 431 covers the entire province of Manitoba in Canada. The entire wow. province. Like, wow. Yeah. I live in Maine where we only have one area code, which is very, you know, rare these days. Um, but today's episode 432, the area code 432 covers West Texas, which is probably bigger than Maine. Just West Texas is probably bigger than Maine, which is Midland, Odessa, Big Spring, Alpine, and Fort Stockton. So hello to all our listeners in Manitoba and in West Texas. I also want to give a shout out to Sarah, who sent an email uh, and a cat picture the other day, and their cat is named Novella, (gasps) which is like... I'm really jealous that I didn't think to name my cat that first. So that's a good cat name. I'm just I'm just gonna go ahead and take credit for it. Um, <laughs> like I came up with that name. So yeah, hello to Sarah and Novella, and uh, we're gonna talk about books now. Heck yeah. Before we do that, I want to remind you about the deep dive. Book Riot's editorial team is writing for casual and power readers alike over at The Deep Dive. You can find weekly stories that inform and inspire readers drawn from our collective experience as power readers, teachers, librarians, booksellers, and bookish professionals. Recent stories for free subscribers have included a brief history of chain letters, a BTS look at being Book Riot's managing editor, and the anatomy of an Obama summer reading list. And paid subscribers get access to exclusive content, including a mega list of books our readers think you should add to your TBR, and access to community features, including the ability to comment. And during the month of September, which is almost over now, all new free subscribers will be entered to win Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, plus five mystery books from The Deep Dive. To enter, simply start a free subscription to The Deep Dive. No payment method is required. To enter, go to bookriot.substack.com. That's bookriot.substack.com. No purchase is necessary to enter. So get on that because September is almost over. Oh my gosh. And now we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Just Some Stupid Love Story. So in Just Some Stupid Love Story by Caitlin Doyle, Molly and Seth were best friends turned lovers until Molly ghosted Seth on the eve of their high school graduation, which is very trifling, I might add. So now they've reunited again at their high school reunion 15 years later, and they make a bet. Whoever can predict the fate of five couples before the next reunion must declare that the other is right about true love. But what is the catch, you might ask? Well, the catch is that the fifth couple is them. Dun, dun, dun. So this is a callback to the best 90s and early 2000s rom-coms. If you like When Harry Met Sally or How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, this will be right up your alley. This is also perfect for fans of romance readers of Emily Henry 
Henry, Catherine Center, and others like that. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Just Some Stupid Love Story, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them. But he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage. But as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, He'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I'm very excited about today's books. And before I tell you about my first pick, I want to just quickly tell you uh, that today is the release of possibly my favorite book of the year. I'm just going to briefly mention it because it is a comic book. It's a it's a little middle grade graphic novel. It's so good. I know I've already mentioned it before. It's called Fry Guys by Eric Jaron and Janny Ho. And it is so filled with puns. More potato puns than you can shake a potato stick at. I mean, it's just hilarious. I loved it from beginning to end. I've been raving about it everywhere that I possibly can. So if you like puns, if you like fun, if you have kids that like those things, I highly recommend it. It's Fry Guys by Eric Jaron and Janie Ho. But now I'm going to talk about my first adult pick. It is Land of Milk and Honey by C. Pam Zhang. Zhang is the author of How Much of These Hills is Gold, which was set in 19th century California and only came out in 2020. I feel like I feel like that book came out years and years and years ago for some reason, but so many books came out during the pandemic now. It's just amazing to me. Uh, I love that novel. This one is a futuristic novel. The best way I can describe it is like John Fowles meets The Menu meets H.G. Wells. It's about an unnamed Asian American woman who I will refer to from now on as the chef. She is old when we first meet her, like in the first paragraph of the book, and then we hear her story. For most of the book, she is 29. The world is dying. There was smog in America that killed the crops and the animals and spread throughout the country and has been killing everything along with the starvation and the displacement. There's disease that spreads. People are dying all over the place. Uh, it's spreading to other countries. There's other environmental problems. It has now killed, at this point when the, the book is taking place, it has killed most of the plants and animals in the world, like 95%. The chef is working in France when the, the smog starts and she can't go back to California. They close America's borders um, when all of this destruction starts. And so she's been working in France and then things get really hard and they have very few ingredients. And now she's running a restaurant 
making food with like mung bean flour and like really gross stuff, like the very few things that they can get. She's kind of self-hating and self-medicating while she's working this job. And then she learns of a job, a very mysterious job, high up on a mountain in Italy. She's like, what do I have to lose? So the chef applies. She lies on her resume. She's like, oh, yeah, I went to the Cordon Bleu and I've studied with all these famous, you know, French chefs and I have all these degrees. And she totally lies. But for some reason, she gets the job. She has to sign a non-disclosure agreement. She has to give up all of her personal info. She has to give up all of her technology. She has to give up her freedom. She's not allowed to leave the grounds of this establishment that she's going to be staying at. She has to follow all the commands that she's given, including about her appearance. It's, it's all very strange. So there's this facility. It's a restaurant in like this building on the side of the mountain. It's high above the smog. Everything there is green and lush and the air is breathable, which are things that, you know, she hasn't seen in forever because everything is dying. Um, it's also high security and she has a kitchen the likes of which she has only ever dreamed of. It's enormous, and underneath it is a storage facility with every food and spice she can think of. Everything that she could possibly want, everything that has disappeared from the world, is in this storage facility. She communicates with her new boss via phone calls, like she hasn't met him for the first several days. She just knows that she's she just knows that she is going to be throwing dinner parties or cooking food that for dinner parties that he is throwing, I should say, on the weekends every few weeks. And so while she doesn't meet the boss, she does meet his 20-year-old daughter. Her name is Aida, and the chef befriends her. Aida is a genius, even though she's so young. She's She has everything that she could possibly want. She has a degree in bioengineering and that's when the chef learns that there's even more going on than she realized. She's introduced to some more places on the mountain. The boss is obscenely rich, like the man who hired her. He barters in the last of many things. Animals, plants, resources, family legacies. He buys up all this stuff from people and then uses them to get people to do what he wants. And for a while, the chef kind of forgets what's going on. She's She doesn't have internet. She doesn't have the news. You know, she's not bombarded with, like, you know, horrible doomsday headlines every few minutes. And she kind of just exists as if the rest of the world isn't dying around them. But shortly after she arrives, she discovers this problem, which is kind of ironic. She can't eat the food that she cooks. She gets to this place with everything that she could possibly want to eat and no limit to what she can make, how much food she can waste, what she can eat, and she can't eat it. Every time she makes herself something and tries to eat it, it makes her sick to her stomach. She can't eat it, and her body only wants to eat the gross mung bean flour stuff and the pasty food that she ate before she came to the mountain. But still, aside from this, it's kind of a paradise. But as the months go by, the chef discovers the dark side of the mountain, and that just because you can do something, it doesn't mean that you should. This book is a gorgeous, living, breathing, unsettling thing. The descriptions of tastes and smells and the senses are amazing. She talks about food so much. And it's just incredible that, you know, we haven't heard food described this way before. You know, it's like 
I love it when you read something and you're like, that's new and amazing and exciting. I could have read twice as many pages just of the food descriptions of this. I am going to tell you a spoiler now. So if you don't want to hear it, turn your volume down for a minute. But the chef does have a pet cat. The pet cat goes missing. So if you would like to know whether the pet cat lives or dies, keep listening. Spoiler, it lives. I just wanted to point that out to people who were like, oh, no, a cat. So I do want to give some other content warnings, though. There are a lot of them, including sexism, classism, racism, and racialized slurs, uh, harassment, substance abuse, disordered eating, partner abuse, animal abuse. There are lots of dead animals in this book for eating and experiments. Uh, there's violence, mass extinction, suicide and suicidal ideation, and loss of a loved one. I just said all these terrible things, and now I want to tell you something funny, though. Uh, the cat was walking across my keyboard earlier when I was typing this down and somehow deleted some of the words, which backed it right up so that the M was missing from the front of mass extinction, and I laughed a lot um, when I saw that. Anyway, this one is amazing. It's Land of Milk and Honey by C. Pam Zhang. Did I talk about that for 500 minutes? Because that's what that felt like. I don't know, but now I really want to read it. Oh, it's so good. But it is very unsettling, you know. That's okay. You've been warned. (laughs) Let's see. For my first pick today, I have Mermaids Never Drown, Tales to Dive For, edited by Zoraida Cordova and Natalie C. Parker. This is a young adult anthology with 14 stories about mermaids, or rather merfolk, because they aren't all maids. And there is such a wide range of stories. Sweet, creepy, hilarious, vengeful, enraging, exhilarating, heartbreaking. I really love the variety and the pacing. There are some stories, like We'll Always Have June by Julian Winters, that are contemporary and the merfolk in this world aren't known by humans in general. Preeti Chibber's The Dark Calls doesn't even bother with humans at all. It keeps us with the merfolk under the water and dares to imagine going even deeper. Kaylin Barron's Return to the Sea definitely squeezed my heart in a few different ways when I read it. In this story, merfolk are not only known to humans, but they live among each other, work together, and go to school together. Of course, there are humans who love to almost fetishize merfolk and appropriate their culture with like jewelry or how they do their hair. And of course, these humans don't actually have an ounce of respect for the actual merfolk or the ocean. Two specific stories, The Deepwater Vandal by Darcy Little Badger and The First and Last Kiss by Julie Murphy, reminded me why I love the short story format so much. I found both of these stories, even though they are like way different from each other, but both these stories in themselves to be as fulfilling a read as reading an entire novel. Like they went so many places and there was like a full arc and these stories just hit the right notes for me. Some of the stories are historical fantasy, and I appreciate that not all of the stories take place in the United States. 
It's so refreshing to have merfolk from various cultural backgrounds and also just merfolk as their own culture. They're not just Hans Christian Andersen mermaids, but make them brown, as we have seen happen, and I love it. But these merfolk have depth, (laughs) pun intended, um, and they're really characters on their own, and it's really, really great. There were also stories that made me laugh out loud multiple times, like Maggie Takuda Hall's Shark Week, which also Maggie Takuda Hall has a sequel or companion book to her The Mermaid, The Witch in the Sea that comes out today. It's a very mermaid day for this author. That book is called, I think, The Siren, The Song, and The Spy. So it it is a very mermaid book day today. <laughs> and there's also, in this book, there's also a wide exploration of how the humans react to mermaids, whether it's awe or fear or disrespect or adoration. I had so much fun reading this anthology, and I hope you do too. It's Mermaids Never Drown, Tales to Die For, edited by Zoraida Cordova and Natalie C. Parker. All right. My next pick for today is one that I can't tell you too much about. I feel like that's, like, been the theme lately. Here's a great book. I can't tell you much about it. But it's fun to, like, find out things for yourself, too. So, it is Black River Orchard by Chuck Wendig. This is set in Pennsylvania on the Delaware River, near where Washington crossed all those centuries ago. I want to make a side note here. Uh, Like in 1998, I think, I went to the town of New Hope, Pennsylvania, um, which was this very cool, funky little town. And it's right by the Delaware. And as we were driving, we saw this small sign that was not much bigger than a license plate. And it said, Washington crossed the Delaware here. And I could not believe it because it's something that we all know. There's the famous painting of Washington crossing the Delaware. It's this moment in history. And I assumed they would have like a theme park there or something because of where it happened. And like I said, this was in 1998, I think. So if anybody's been in the area and, you know, you know differently and they've made a big, huge sign or something or just want to tell me about how New Hope is doing now, please feel free to email us at allthebooks at gmail.com because I would love to hear about it. But I just could not get over how small the sign was for this monumentous moment of history. Anyway, back to the book, which, like I said, is set in Pennsylvania. It is a giant horror novel from Chuck Wendig, who is a man of unending words. That's how I think of him, because he writes these huge books, multiple books a year. Uh, He writes millions of words every year, not just, you know, in his books, but on his blog and online. Um, And he never runs out of words. And they're not bad words. Well, I mean, Okay, some of them are bad words. He says a lot of curse words, but they're all entertaining. I love his stuff so much. And I did read recently, Chuck said online that he felt the reviews of Black River Orchard were spoiling too much of the book. So that is why I'm only going to say very little about it. It is set in Pennsylvania. It involves an apple farmer who is trying to grow a successful bounty, which is something that his father failed at. There's also his teenage daughter who is working hard to be an influencer on social media. There's a story with a woman and her wife who are new to the area. They've just moved near the river. Um, There has been an unspeakable incident, which we don't know what happened. 
just that it did, and now they've moved, and this woman is now kind of trapped at home because she doesn't have a job. While her wife goes off to work, she doesn't have a car because her wife takes the car to work. Um, and she feels really trapped in her home. And she makes a discovery shortly after they arrive. There's also a man who is interested in that discovery. He's like this Johnny Appleseed-type character, this guy who roams the country looking for rare apples. And by rare, I mean trees that were thought to have gone extinct uh, that are growing out in the wild, um, which is a real thing. You are going to learn so much about apples. Like, this book is filled with facts about apples. Like, I learned what those little tiny dots are on apples. They're called lenticels. I had no idea. They are apparently the same thing on pears and also potatoes. They're used to get oxygen to the fruit. It helps them, or get rid of oxygen, helps them breathe, which I didn't know. There's also, like I said, the trees that people hunt for. This is a real thing. They look for these, like, rare strains that people didn't realize still existed, because there are all different kinds of apples. There's also, you have to graft branches onto donor trees to, like, grow some trees. Just so many apple facts. But like I said, this is also a horror novel, so bad, bad, bad things are going to happen. It's fun to read as these events unfold. It's magnificent and maniacal and sometimes unhinged. It's an unhinged story about apples and cravings and evil. There are a lot of content warnings for this one as well, because it's a horror book, including gore, body horror, racism, transphobia, police harassment, animal harm and death, which includes not just animals in nature, but also pets. Uh, there's uh, substance abuse, suicide, loss of a loved one, anxiety, trauma, violence, and murder. So take care in reading it. I'm going to be interviewing Chuck today. If you're listening to this on release day, September 26th, uh, I'm going to Portland to interview him. Uh, and I'm very excited about this because I'm a big fan of his work and I loved this book. And you will too. It is Black River Orchard by Chuck Wendig. I am interested. I, I, like, I just want all those apple facts. It's wild. Like, I know that for many years now, he's been, like, collecting information about apples on his social media. And I don't, like, I'll have to ask him this on Tuesday. I don't know if he was doing that because he was writing this book or if his interest in apples led to him writing this book. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I do know at some of our farmers markets out here, there are, you know, getting around this time of year, there are vendors who sell heirloom apples. Yeah, it's wild. And I only recently learned that I didn't know that because you think about it, there's apples year round at the grocery store, but actually those apples are all picked in the fall. And then like the closer you get to the beginning of next fall, the older the apples are because they've just been sitting in refrigeration. Mm -hmm, I, didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. So now I'm like telling my husband, I'm like, just eat the apples in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. For my next pick, I have, I have something completely different than that book. I have Rest Easy, Discover Calm and Abundance Through the Radical Power of Rest by Jimena Vengochea. I have been thinking a lot about rest personally since I read Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey a year ago. The thing I have been struggling with is not the idea 
of rest. Like I acknowledge that I deserve rest and I don't have to earn rest. And when it comes to what I'm calling rest theory, I am all about it. Like, yes, heck yeah, rest. The place where I keep getting stuck is what I'm calling applied rest. So theoretical rest and applied rest. How do I actually rest? Like aside from taking a nap, right? What the heck is rest? Like divest from capitalism, sure. But what does that even look like in reality when we live in a capitalist society? Rest Easy by Jimena Vangochea is the book I didn't even know I needed, and now that I've read it, I'm definitely going to start forcing it upon everyone that will listen, starting with all of you, obviously. Jimena Vangochea wrote another book that I love that came out within, within the past few years called Listen Like You Mean It, which pulled from her knowledge as a user experience researcher at large tech companies. As you can imagine, she got really burned out from that job, plus being an author, plus being a new mom. So she decided to put on her researcher hat and look into what rest is because she really, really needed it. She tried so many things and interviewed a ton of people and read a bunch of the literature about rest, not only in the United States, but elsewhere. And in this book, she shares not only some of her research, but also the actual activities or non-activities that she found were restful. At the beginning of the book, she addresses the social, racial, political, economical, etc. reasons why rest may not be accessible to some folks, or that some folks look at rest in different ways, depending on our situation and background and culture. There is a ton in this book about how others get in our way, but also how we get in our own way of resting. The way that a lot of us rest right now is not sustainable and actually helpful. And I say this as a person who works really hard all week. I work my day job and then I do book riot stuff and then I do my newsletter and I do like personal projects on weekdays. And then I try to shove all my rest into the weekends when I am also shoving in chores and errands. And this is not sustainable. And a lot of people do rest this way. The author also addresses why it's important to rest and not only rest so that you can do more, even though rest can promote creativity. She also addresses how rest doesn't only mean being still. Exercise can be rest. Knitting can be rest. Baking can be rest. And as Liberty and I had our Lego date, I think, you know, doing Legos and playing can be rest. The hallmark of rest is that you generally feel better after you do it, which is why she also stresses that mindlessly scrolling the internet usually doesn't count as rest because rarely do you feel better after you've been doing it. 
I already need to read this book again. There's just so much in it that I want to absorb and try to implement in my everyday. This might be the book that all my loved ones get from me for December Ween. It's Rest Easy, Discover Calm and Abundance Through the Radical Power of Rest by Jimena Vengochea. All right. Before we talk about more books, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Hachette Audio. Three years ago, sports agent Myron Bolitar gave a eulogy at the funeral of his client, renowned basketball coach Greg Downing. So why, you may ask, is Greg now being placed at the scene of a double, not a singular, but a double homicide? I also wonder. So Greg Downing, who Myron gave a eulogy for, is a suspect and Myron needs some answers. So Myron and Wynn, longtime friends and colleagues, set out to find the truth, but the more they discover about Greg, the more dangerous their world becomes. Secrets, lies, and a murderous conspiracy that stretches back into the past churn at the heart of Harlan Coben's blistering new novel, Think Twice. And the audiobook is narrated by his longtime narrator, Steve Weber. Now, if you don't know about Steve, Steve gives each character distinct voices and accents, making this a more immersive listen. Make sure to check out Think Twice by Harlan Coben. And thanks again to Hachette Audio for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so those are some books that we have read and enjoyed. Now we're going to talk about more of today's releases and hardcover and paperback that we're excited about but haven't necessarily read. I'm kicking it off with The Unsettled by Ayana Mathis. This is the first book since The Twelve Tribes of Hattie from Mathis, which I loved. It came out in 2012. It was an Oprah pick. It was a series of interconnected stories. It's fantastic. I highly recommend picking up that one. This one, The Unsettled, is set in the 1980s in Philadelphia about a young mother who is trying to find a way out of the shelter for her son and herself. It's also about her estranged relationship with her mother and the destructive relationship she has with her son's father. It sounds fantastic and powerful. You know, I've been waiting, you know, over a decade for a new Ayana Mathis, so I'm going to read this as soon as I can. It has received all the starred reviews. It's The Unsettled by Ayana Mathis. So my next pick, I have The Salvation Gambit by Emily Skretsky. 
This book is also out today, obviously, and I have not read it yet, but it's definitely on my TBR. It has everything. Lesbians, in space, a jailbreak, a heist, found family. So the characters Murdoch, Hark, B, and Fitz make up a group of con women with a reputation for being very good at their job. Being very good at their job also means they never get caught. And well, they've been caught. And they aren't just in any kind of space prison. This one is referred to as the Justice, and it's run by an AI with a god complex. The folks who are in prison there have either succumbed to the AI or they're trying to survive. And there are even some that are just trying to make the best out of an all around bad situation. Murdoch, however, is set on breaking herself out and her crew too. It promises to be one heck of a ride and read It's the Salvation Gambit by Emily Skretsky. I feel like that one kind of complements the next one that I'm going to mention which is The Undetectables by Courtney Smith, or maybe Smythe. I'm sorry, I don't actually know now that I'm saying it. It's S-M-Y-T-H. We're going to go with Smythe for this. Uh, It didn't occur to me to even look it up. I'm very sorry. But it sounds like a whole bunch of fun. I'm going to buy it just for the tagline, which is be gay, solve crime, take naps, which is fantastic. It's a queer paranormal fantasy about a magical detective agency run by three witches and a ghost who insists on wearing a cat costume. The ghost also happens to be the spirit of the murder victim whose case the witches were unable to solve. So I guess not only were they not able to solve his murder, but now he's going to hang around and make him feel bad about it or maybe help them out. I don't know. I haven't read it, but it sounds great. And this magical detective agency is hired to find a magical serial killer And up until now, this all sounds like great fun, but I'm going to tell you that the magical serial killer casts spells that causes people to eat their own tongues. So maybe I lost a few of you there, but it still sounds like a great time. It sounds dark and silly, which is my idea of fun. It is The Undetectables by Courtney Smythe. And for my last pick. I have Thinking 101, How to Reason Better to Live Better by Woo Kyung Ahn. This is out in paperback today, and I'm so excited. I've actually read this one, and if you're a frequent listener, you know I love nonfiction, and this has been one of my recent favorites. I actually want to reread this one as well. As librarians, we manifest our powers in different ways. My personal soapbox, the hill I will die on, my North Star, whatever you want to call it, is information literacy and the importance of teaching information literacy for everyone. The author is a psychologist at Yale and teaches a course called Thinking. Before I go any further, I am definitely absolutely hesitant about anyone telling me how to think. I want to put that out there. And this book is not that. This book is really about all the different biases that we run into when faced with new information. Some of these I knew, and some of these were new to me. 
And I want to make it clear, we all have run into these biases at some point or another, no matter what we believe in, no matter how many books we have read, no matter how many college degrees we have. I have a master's degree and wow, I am confidently wrong a fair amount of the time. This book not only talks about the popular ones like confirmation bias, but also that bias that some folks have when they see someone do a dance or make a piece of artwork or something and they look at it and say, I could do that. I don't know, friends. Janet Jackson's choreography in her 1989 hit Miss You Much still eludes me to this day. This is such a great book and it's worth reading again. It's Thinking 101, How to Reason Better to Live Better by Wu Kyung An. All right. So those are books that we are excited about. And now I'm going to tell you about a few paperback releases out today, both books that were in hardcover and paperback originals, starting with Diary of a Misfit, a Memoir and a Mystery by Casey Parks. This is, like it says, part memoir and part mystery. Parks talks about her own coming out, the horrible reactions that her family and her church had to that. And while she was trying to deal with that, her grandmother told her, That when she was young, there was a woman who lived as a man across the street from her, and she always wanted to know what happened to him. And Parks is also curious to find out his story, so in searching for the story of this man and his fate, she learns a lot about herself. Best of Friends by Kamala Shamsi. This is an excellent novel about two lifelong friends who grew up together in Karachi who have to confront their past when troubling people from the past resurface. The Hacienda by Isabel Cañas, which, to be honest, I thought was already in paperback, uh, but it's not, and it's great. It's a Rebecca-esque novel set in 1800s Mexico about a young woman who lost so much in the war. She now agrees to marry a man she barely knows. He whisks her off to his hacienda and leaves her there with his cold and distant sister and the servants who refuse to sleep in the house, and she soon discovers why that is. Don't Fear the Reaper by Stephen Graham Jones. This is the horror-filled second book in the Indian Lake trilogy, After My Heart is a Chainsaw. The third in the trilogy, The Angel of Indian Lake, comes out on March 26th. Passenger and Stella Morris by Cormac McCarthy. These were the last two works published before he died. It's a connected duology set in the South and in Wisconsin in the 1970s and 80s. Graceland at Last, Notes on Hope and Heartache from the American South by Margaret Renkel. This one won a zillion awards, which, and it was the follow-up to Late Migrations, A Natural History of Love and Loss, which also won a zillion awards. This, that was her look at the natural world. I loved both these books. I feel like she's a contemporary of Annie Dillard for sure. So you want to pick this up if you love nonfiction. And also on paperback today is Possibly my favorite book of last year, The First Cat in Space Ate Pizza by Mac Barnett and Sean Harris, a middle grade graphic novel about a cat who goes to help the queen of the moon stop the rats who are eating the back of it. The First Cat in Space and the Soup of Doom, which is equally as awesome, is out on October 10th. And in paperback originals today, we have Kiss and Spell by Celestine Martin. This is the second in the Elemental Love series. The first being Witchful Thinking. They're really adorable, witchy romance novels. I had a chance to interview her last year at Comic-Con, and she's just great, and I adored these. Another one I'm really excited about, 
Hot Iron and Cold Blood, an anthology of the Weird West, edited by Patrick McDonough. These are weird and disturbing stories of the Wild West, including stories about dinosaurs who return as massive poltergeists, outlaws experiencing Cronenbergian body horror, a headless horseman who roams the Badlands, otherworldly creatures hunting within our domain, screaming spectral birds who nest within the damned, and gunslinging women with murderous skills who annihilate foolish notions of a man's world. Yes, please. Very excited about this. And also out today, just in time for Halloween, the 20th anniversary edition of Come Closer by Sarah Gran. This is a great little horror novel about a happily married architect who begins acting out of character and doing disturbing things, and she doesn't know why. You know me, I stand for Sarah Gran. I love her. Very excited about this. So those are paperbacks. Patricia, what are you going to read next? Okay, so (laughs) I have started reading, as I said I would, Out There Screaming, an anthology of new black horror edited by Jordan Peele and John Joseph Adams. As I've shared with listeners before, I am a giant chicken, but I said to myself, self, you have read Ring Shout by P.J. Lee Clark. You have read When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. I think I could get through this book. But what I have been doing is that I will read a story in the morning when it is light out and I'm having coffee so that I have a full day before I have to go to bed. Uh, Out There Screaming is out on October 3rd, and I've also been reading Microactivism, How You Can Make a Difference in the World Without a Bullhorn by Umkari Williams, and that is out October 24th. Liberty, what are you reading right now? So, a couple of hours ago, I got Hum by Helen Phillips. I love Helen Phillips. I love her books. She wrote Need, which was long listed for the National Book Award. I think that was her last one. Um, but I just love her so much. This one is about a woman. It's set in the future where pretty much everyone has lost their jobs to AI. And there is a woman in need of money who takes a job as a guinea pig and allows uh, some scientists to change her look so that she can scramble security cameras or go undetected on surveillance cameras, something like that. I'm remembering just from reading the description this morning, but it sounds really cool. It'll be awesome because Helen Phillips is awesome. Uh, the bad news is that it comes out August 6th of next year. <laughs> um, but I had to talk about it because I'm so excited and I'm very sorry. And I know that August 6th is a long ways away, but <laughs> I'm just so excited. So that is it for us today. For a chance to win a copy of Parable of the Sower and five other books from the Deep Dive, simply start a free subscription to enter. No payment method is required. To enter, go to bookriot.substack.com. That's bookriot.substack.com. No purchase is necessary to enter. You do need to do that in the month of September, though. We want to give a thank you to our sponsors, a thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. Patricia, where can people find you online? I am on... Where am I? Instagram mostly and blue sky some. Uh, and you can find me at the info file, like the lover of information. That's T-H-E-I-N-F-O-P-H-I-L-E. How about you? I mostly hang out on Instagram at friends and comes alive. 
and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us, and we greatly appreciate it. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full table of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.